Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Give the gift of choice this season with multi-store cards at giftcards.com. With multi-store cards, treat them to dinner, movies, or shopping on one convenient card. Featuring all your favorites like Macy's, Alta, and Lululemon. It's a great gift card everyone will love. For last-minute gifting, choose the Happy Holidays or Holiday Favorites e-gift, delivered straight to their inbox. Purchase multi-store cards today at www.giftcards.com slash multi-store. It's your Friday edition of Collider Movie Talk, and on today's show, we are wondering, will you watch a four-hour cut of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? On top of that, we've got an update for Guillermo del Toro's latest, Nightmare Alley, as though I couldn't be more excited about that movie with just him directing. Now we have an epic ensemble, a potentially epic ensemble, coming together here because our own Jeff Snyder has the exclusive on that cast, and we're going to run through all the names in a moment, but first... I have to introduce my wonderful panelists. We have Carla Renata back on the show. Hey, hey. And introducing to Movie Talk, Alicia Grasso. Hi. Hi. How are you guys doing today? I'm so excited Wait. to have you in the studio, finally. I know, finally. After all of our wonderful adventures in New Orleans. Now we're going <laughs> to behave ourselves here. Almost running into the Mississippi River today. Horrible, horrible humidity. Yeah. yeah, stuff happens. How is life, Carly, doing well? Life is fantabulous. I cannot complain. <laughs> I can always count on you to just fill the room with kind of love and enthusiasm. Aww, I love your energy. Thank you. All right, Feelings guys. Mutual. We are going to run through story number one right now. So there was a recent rumor that surfaced that claimed that Quentin Tarantino had plans to release Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as a series on Netflix with some deleted scenes. Now we can add to that story because we've got a cast member from the movie that says that that's indeed the plan. I got the story through the playlist. They said that Nicholas Hammond told the podcast The Mutuals that there is a long version of the film coming to Netflix. Here is the quote. There is, a, there is talk about there being a four-hour Netflix version as well because there were a lot of scenes he shot that couldn't make it into the film because there, were just, there just simply wasn't room. He also added, the promise is that like his other film, The Hateful Eight, they just done a four-hour Netflix version, and I think they're talking about doing the same. There are some actors like Tim Roth, wonderful actors, who never even made it into the film. I mean, their entire roles got cut. The Netflix version will be great, too. So, after seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in its theatrical form, what do you guys think of this? If this winds up being true, would you sit down and watch a four-hour Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in episodic format? I'll let you go, Alicia, because I got some things <laughs> um, I would watch it, but my concern would be that, uh, I mean, you get a theatrical cut for a reason, and so my concern would be that it would just be too meandering. I mean, you could make it like an event, because I feel like Tarantino is one of those really, those few directors that can kind of do whatever he wants. Um, but I worry that all the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, if it's all put back into the movie, it wouldn't have a real kind of 
flow or narrative so um even more so so i'm i i would watch it but i'd probably have to take breaks <laughs> i don't think i'd be able to do four hours in one go yeah um so i think the the film that's in theaters right now is like two hours and some change yeah i'm like first of all <laughs> first of all i love quentin tarantino's artistry as a filmmaker i really do i appreciate it and i respect it but having said that, I really don't need to see this on Netflix. There's too much content already. We've seen this in the movie theater. Do we really need to see it on Netflix? Like the like the quote says, he's doing that Hateful Eight possibly as a... Hateful Eight is up, actually. Okay, so you Hateful can watch Eight. that right now. All right, yeah. so Hateful Eight is already up. I don't know how that's doing, but I don't really need to see Once Upon a Time in, in a four-hour thing. I mean, having said that, if people were going to watch that, mm-hmm. I think it would be best as Alicia said, not to take the stuff that was on the cutting room floor that was put in, because it was on the cutting room floor for a reason. Take something like, take themes, make it a thematic event type of situation. And then I think I might possibly be able to handle it. I think in this case, though, because it's Tarantino, if he wants those scenes back in the movie, because it doesn't seem like he's the kind of director that would say, let's make a little extra money and release like an extended Mm -hmm. Blu-ray cut of something just with some extra things. Or even do, let's say, what Endgame just did, where they tack on that silly uh, extra footage (laughs) at the end to Mm -hmm. make more money in the theater. Mm -hmm. I just have a feeling that if he wants this cut out there, it's because from the directing and the writing perspective, he thinks those scenes can add value to the experience you might have already had. And I don't know if they do the Hateful Eight path and they chop it up into 50-minute episodes and you could split it up and it's cut into some sort of chapter format that makes Mm -hmm. sense for the story. I would be open to watching more. He he thinks it has value, but there's a reason why you know why writers have editors and filmmakers have you know like sometimes you're a little bit too close to the source material to see that not everything needs to be there um i think seeing tarantino's full vision would be really fascinating and i think he's the one director that you could do that with um and i think there's something to be said too just kind of from a marketing perspective that this is what we're moving toward. We're moving towards streaming services. We're moving toward kind of, uh, but but movie movies that release in theaters are still events, and I think this could be one of those things that would kind of be a trial experiment to see, like maybe this is how we format this from now on, where people that want to see the director's cut, maybe it hit, lands on Netflix or another streaming service, and not the theatrical cut. So. That's actually a good point. Mm-hmm. But there's also another good point. The fact that <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we were talking before we went live about the fact that, you know, once upon a time, no pun intended, there were four networks on television. Four. Now there's like 800 different channels, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to mention all the streaming services. That's a lot of content. That is a whole lot of time with my behind. And we don't even have Disney Plus and HBO Max I'm just yet. saying, I know, really? a lot, it's a lot of content. And I just, I mean, you would have to be a diehard, quintessential uh, Quentin Tarantino fan to want, for me, and this is just my opinion, to want to sit down and watch it, watch more content in that regard again. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, with all the content out there, it's just, it almost feels like what's going to wind up happening in the future is is one thing is going to wind up cannibalizing the other, and that's when you see the big divide between the big studios that spend all this money to promote their stuff versus the little guys who maybe can't get as many eyeballs because you only have so mm-hmm. many hours in the day to spend. Another interesting point someone actually brought up in the live chat, Planeta Sophia said, considering that the movie hasn't 
hasn't gotten to my country yet, maybe I'll only have the Netflix option. So the mm. bright That's side a of a scenario like true. this is that maybe if it's not being released in theaters in a certain area of the world, maybe someone will get to see it this way instead. That's actually a good point. Yeah. That is a good point. It's going to be interesting to see what happens right now because on one side of the equation, we have something like this happening where you take a really, really long movie and you divide it up into fairly long chapters and put it on a Netflix. Then we also have services like Quippy, which are telling long-form stories, but in bite-sized version, in 10-minute chapters. So... Based on what you guys are viewing right now, if both options are there and they're alive and thriving at a point, which way are you going? I mean, it, it was like I, I was just saying, and, and the person in the chat room said, for people that don't live in the United States where we get stuff, where we get inundated with content, like barraged with it on a daily, hourly, you know, minute basis, for someone that doesn't live in America, it's, it's advantageous for them because they can turn their computer on and stream it or get a subscription or whatever and look at it that way. I just feel like I'm being inundated with content and there's only so much of it I can watch in the course of a day. Mm-hmm. I just, sometimes I just need to Carl's like, I just need a break. I just need a break. <laughs> um, I would say on like the Quibi thing versus like long form streaming, I would always lean toward long form. And maybe it's because we haven't really seen anything from mm-hmm. it yet. So it's, it's kind of a hard concept to take a long format and break it down a tiny like bite sized 10 minute episodes, um, which is easy if you're like on the run, if you're on your phone, if you want to watch a quick video. But for me, part of what I like, it's the immersive experience. That's why we sit and we binge watch, you know, Netflix. We watch, sit and watch Stranger Things in one, uh, you know, one weekend or whatever. whatever. Um, So I would be really, personally, I would be really frustrated because I would feel like I would just start getting into it. And then I'd have to wait for another little bite-sized episode. So for me personally, it might work for other people. For me, I'm like, I know me, I would just get frustrated. I am curious to see what the uh, the release format winds up being because Mm -hmm. binge culture is such a huge thing right now. But maybe there is something to be said for them going for a certain uh, corner of the market right Mm -hmm. now that nobody else is tapping into. It's like you have to carve out an entire weekend if not more of your life to binge all of stranger things but if it was a smaller time obligation Mm -hmm. to binge one quibi show i don't know maybe that would attract some people to go check it out i don't know i mean because it's one quibi show and then what if you miss that one or what if you miss the second and third you know what i mean then you end up binging which is which you're still looking at the whole pie here at the whole pie honey i'm not trying to i'm not trying to slice a piece but what i will say is this somebody um I think Danielle Brooks was on. I think uh, Kelly and she's the coolest. I love her I'm so a big much. fan. She was on Kelly and Ryan. I think uh, last week sometime, and she was right before Orange dropped, and mm-hmm. the last season of Orange dropped, and she was saying, and I was reminded that Orange literally, Orange is a New Black was literally one of the first yeah. shows where binge watching uh-huh. began. Like people weren't really doing it until Orange came out because people would immediately, like as soon as midnight hit, folk would be on it, and by the time you woke up, everybody was talking about the new season, and it was that that FOMO that kicked in, where you felt like you were going to miss out on something if you didn't catch the whole season right then and there. So, yeah. Oh, that's God, a whole I problem know, like, is FOMO right now. <laughs> even, when the, like, even when the first few uh, seasons of like the Marvel Netflix shows dropped, just uh, the outlet I was with then, like that was our audience, and so I was like, well... It's midnight on Thursday. Guess I'm just staying up and watching at least the first few episodes so I have something to talk about and write about tomorrow before I head into work. Like, it was insane that I would, you know, you'd be there at midnight, like, having to watch because 
you would if you were a day late you'd be missing the conversation mm-hmm. as frustrating as it is there's definitely <laughs> a thrill it's like i say like yeah. fomo sounds like a negative thing but I don't know if I if I didn't have FOMO, I think Mm -hmm. I would be upset and I would lose a little (laughs) bit of my drive. So even though like even with Tiff right around the corner, let's say, and all of a sudden I see my list down to the floor of movies that I have to watch. And I'm like, oh, my God, if I didn't have that feeling, I don't know. It's it's part of the industry. It keeps the drive going. It's part of the industry, but it's also kind of the new way in which like going to movies is such a communal experience. I mean, nobody that went to Endgame could have sat in that theater with everybody going nuts and cheering and everything and not kind of love that experience and I feel like with everything switching to streaming now or shifting to streaming I feel like that's kind of the it's evolution of that that communal yeah. experience is that fear of FOMO when everybody live <laughs> tweets together or everybody will watch an episode like Game of Thrones is the last thing I can remember everybody it was like must see TV like you had to watch at the same time that night instead of later and everybody's live tweeting and like that was that's just a different kind of communal experience. Yeah. So I feel like maybe FOMO is kind of just the evolution of that, of watching together. But how about this? As the dinosaur of the three of us, I remember, <laughs> a, t- I remember a time where if you didn't watch it the night it came on and you missed it, you just missed it. Yeah. That was it. Mm-hmm. If you missed it, you missed it. But what I will say is that, to piggyback on your point, Alicia, you cannot replace the energy and the excitement of watching a movie with other people in a the theater. Mm-hmm. There's something that's just unparalleled about that. And I would hate to see that experience go completely by the wayside yeah. because there's something extremely special about it. It's, and it's the reason why all of us love movies in the first yeah. place. I was know? just tweeting the other day, Marvel shared the clip of Cap grabbing Thor's hammer and I said, man, I, I don't... I was like, I don't know... Like I don't care how cynical you are. I don't care how you know whatever. But if you can watch this scene in a theater and like be around that energy and not feel something, then man, like something something's wrong with something's you. wrong with you because <laughs> that's the reason why we go to movies. And and I shared a video is from India of the theater just going crazy during that scene. And I was like, that is exactly why we go to movies for that experience, like that communal experience together. Absolutely. I like wrapping up this uh, portion of the show on a positive yeah. note. Before we move over to <laughs> Nightmare Alley, we have to tell you about more content coming to the Collider Video YouTube channel. Like our weekend show, it's Collider Mailbag. Here's a promo. Hey everyone, John Roca here, the host of Collider Mailbag. A new episode drops every Saturday and Sunday in your face and in your ears, answering the questions from you fans about the world of entertainment, film, and television. Me and great guests from our sphere do the best to answer your questions from Twitter, from Instagram, and of course, email as well, every Saturday and Sunday. In addition to Collider Mailbag, I am going to urge you to check out Steve's Hobbs and Shaw interview, which is up on the channel now. He actually got to go to both Hawaii and London, and he played this game with the cast of the film where he hit, he uh, pit Hobbs v. Shaw in a whole bunch of different ways. It's a fun watch. Do go check that out. All right. Story number two now. We are okay, talking. Okay, but wait, I'm jealous about that. Uh, of course you I'm are. I'm jealous about that Hawaii trip. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I think every single person in this office is <laughs> yeah. jealous of Steve. Thankfully, he made the most of his time there, so check that video out. All right, now we get to talk about one of my favorite people on the planet, Guillermo del Toro. According to our own Jeff Snyder, Guillermo del Toro's new adaptation of Nightmare Alley is one of the hottest projects in Hollywood right now. Here is what Jeff is hearing with the casting, but do keep in mind that none of these deals are closed, so things could change. 
Strange. Sources say Tony Collette is poised to play the female lead opposite Bradley Cooper. She'll likely be joined by Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman. Willem Dafoe is also in line to co-star, as is Mark Pavanelli. Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara are also being eyed for key supporting roles. Michael Shannon is also being eyed for a small role, though scheduling may pose a problem in his case. Nightmare Alley, of course, is based on the novel of the same name, and it follows Stanton Stan Carlyle, who joins a traveling circus and schemes to figure out the mind-reading act of Mademoiselle Zena and her alcoholic husband, Pete. When Pete dies, Zena is forced to take on Stan as a partner, and he proves more gifted than his predecessor. It's not long before Stan goes out on his own to mixed results. So now, going through Jeff's report here, this is who everybody is expected to maybe play. Tony Collette would play Zena. Defoe is likely playing Pete. Perlman is poised to play Bruno, the carnival strongman. Jenkins is expected to play one of Stan's marks. Shannon and Pavanelli's intended roles are currently being kept under wraps. Mara is eyed to play Molly, the younger woman who catches Stan's eye, while Blanchette is being sought to play Stan's psychologist, who may or may not be trustworthy despite her oath of confidentiality. Production on this one is expected to start in the fall. All right, big cast here. A whole lot of names I just rattled off. Of everybody I said, who stands out to you the most? Uh, Bradley Cooper. Come on now. (laughs) You can't mention all them people and go, and Bradley Cooper and me not go, Bradley Cooper. It was only because we knew of Bradley Cooper before, so this was just updating the ensemble. I always have love for Bradley Cooper. Look, you ask, I'm telling you, Bradley Cooper. Uh, For me, it's Tony Collette, because she is amazing in everything she's in, and she does not get nearly enough credit. She should have been nominated for Hereditary. I don't care. She really should have. I'm with you on that one. So, yeah. So, for me, it's Tony Collette. I will second that. And just to throw a different name in the... I don't know. I can't see Kate Blanchett's name attached to a project and oh, not yeah. care about that. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that that winds up panning out. And I feel like I haven't seen Rooney Mara in a little while, so I was happy to see her name crop up on the list, too. Um, Alicia, I know you are very familiar with the source material yeah. here. Is there anybody on this list that just seems like spot-on casting for the role and what you hope it's going to be? I I feel like Cooper is. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for what they're... They're all really good uh, casting from if I'm kind of like envisioning it in my head of what I would see it as, but I think Bradley Cooper can play kind of huckster kind of con man really well. So I think he's really good in the role. I think some of the fan casting I had seen before his casting was announced was Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. And- but yeah, now I'm kind of Both like, I'm like, fine. Oh, I'm like, I kind of would want to see DiCaprio. All due respect to Bradley <laughs> Cooper. Please don't fight me. Carla. I'm not, I'm not but- going to drop kick you. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a safe set. But, but I mean, that's that's an amazing cast. Like even down to Ron Perlman mm-hmm. and um, Richard, Jenkins. Richard Jenkins. Yeah, yes. like he's so good. So now we also have a piece of source material that was written a long, long time ago. So when you think about the 2019 version of Nightmare Alley, how do you hope that Guillermo adjusted for the modern audience? So the the 1947 film, it's more of a, it's kind of a pure like drama and noir. Um, what I would, and obviously anything that's made in 1947 is definitely going to need to have some updates. Um, but I would really love to see him keep the noir aspect but lean more into the kind of fantastical um mm-hmm. kind of horror tin- the things that he does really well you know the fantasy and the horror and the dark horror or dark fantasy um that's i, I think you could make something that is true to the spirit of the original but its own thing and i think he's the perfect director for that 
Carla, I know you're not as into horror as the two of us I are. I so am not. It is so not my jam. But given, I do. given that, though, you hear Guillermo del Toro and all of these Academy Award winners or nominees attached to a project like this, do you put that together and maybe say, like, this is a horror film that could potentially get Academy Award consideration? Oh, most definitely. With all those people attached to it and Guillermo del Toro, yeah, of course. I'm I'm a fan of him. I'm a fan of, of his work, and I'm a fan of him just as a human being on the planet. I really is. He's a lovely, lovely person. Um, so, as Alicia said, he probably will be able to do some really wonderful things with the film and updating it for this generation and this time. Um, and... <laughs> We already know I'm a fan of Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit of a fan of Bradley Cooper. But I, I'm a huge fan of Toni Collette, too, and I agree mm-hmm. with you about her not getting any um, large recognition for love. her role in Hereditary because that was, that was something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was something to see. It's only a matter of time. I believe it. Yeah. I'm just really excited to see him put his touch on just the overall atmosphere. It's like, even mm-hmm. though I actually, just before we got on set, I downloaded the audiobook. So okay. when I when I want to pass out while I'm running all weekend, that's what <laughs> I'm going to be listening to. But even just reading the description and thinking about Guillermo and even all these names attached now, I can kind of just picture the world and the tone of the world that he is probably going to build. So mm-hmm. it sounds great. I can't wait to step into it. Hopefully soon enough. I also, when I see this, the first thing that popped, well, two things popped in my head. One was, we are never, ever getting that at the Mountains of Madness movie. Oh, I know. Ever. We're never (laughs) getting that movie. Um, And two was, I was like, man, why why haven't Tim Burton and Guillermo del Toro worked together yet? I just feel like that would be such a, like their love of kind of dark fantasy with a twist of whimsy. I, I feel like that's a natural that could be very interesting, yeah. actually. I would definitely, I mean, I definitely would not be opposed to an idea still- of like that. But what's that series that Del Toro is working on right now? And he's recruiting all these great horror directors for it. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that would be a good, mm-hmm. good opportunity. The name is escaping me at I the just, moment. I, I still, I feel like there's still a great movie in Tim Burton. I, I really do. And I say this as like, loving him, but I just it's interesting because I, I just look at them sometimes and I just think, man, how have they never worked together? It, sure. it really is crazy. I'm sure and, it's on the horizon. And this this mm. makes a case for more anthology projects. Yes. It's it's a format that mm-hmm. I understand why many are not doing it because it is easy to sell a more traditional movie like we are used to seeing. But I don't know. I, I feel like VHS 2 in particular kind of changed the game for me as far as horror anthologies go mm-hmm. where you can, you can see a movie like that and the quality can be so through the roof that... I mean, I just haven't stopped talking about Safe Haven for how many years? We need more stuff like that to get more love. All right, let's hit a couple of live chat questions before we close this out. All right. Let's go with a question from Thelonious. Uh, Most people will now see a low-quality version of the Tenet trailer because it's being shown in theaters only. Is this a viable marketing strategy? I can't tell if I'm just, like, bitter right now because I'm jealous people have seen it and I haven't, but I, can't, I do get his point. I'm, I'm curious because I'm seeing Hobbs and Shaw tonight in 4DX. Uh, oh, it's going to be I insane. I hope you survive. Oh, there is 4DX? What is that? Oh, it's the deep, like the seat that shakes you around. There were, like, notes, like, if you don't want to get wet, like, don't sit in this. I'm like, oh, Ooh, okay. No. It's a yeah, whole I thing. It's going to be a whole thing. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious if they attach it to that um, screening but I kind of feel like it doesn't matter. It's Chris Nolan. Like, people are going to turn out for his movies with a star-studded cast. 
It's true. But I, I want to see it. <laughs> I respect the fact that he wants to... Because pre- I mean, we were talking about it earlier. He wants to preserve the theatrical experience. And the truth of the matter is, as much as I love watching trailers on my computer, now, 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 the second they come out, those trailers will play entirely different for me when I'm sitting there watching them on the big screen. So I respect that. But nowadays, with the technology that we have... Thelonious is right. Now there's going to be a whole bunch of people out here who see a bootlegged copy of that first. And that's mm, a bummer. That's mm-hmm. a drag. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully uh, you can stop yourself from watching it and just go see it in the theater. <laughs> there's some good movies out this week and you can see Hobbs and Shaw if you'd like. If Moose happens to be playing near you, I highly recommend it. All right. Mm. Let's get <laughs> this is really random, but I'm just going to ask it because I feel like it. Brad Anderson <laughs> wants to know what's your favorite dinner? What's my favorite dinner? Ooh, anything with seafood. Okay. I love seafood. Um, I would say... You're a foodie. You better have a good answer. Oh, man. I know I am, but the sad thing is, like, my go-to is always pizza. Like, that's always my comfort food. Okay. Pizza, but it has to be good pizza. It can't be, like, crappy, Domino's, sorry to anybody so out you here. need to move to the east uh, coast i know i need to move back to the east coast um, <laughs> but that slice on the corner and it's not i've the been same i've been here. trying to find good cajun food here since new orleans since overlook cajun food was a lot for me i know I you, hated, I you hated like, your life you i was hated overwhelmed life. by the spice for four days oh no it was a lot it's good though did y'all have a hurricane Mm-hmm. We didn't have a hurricane, but what did, what did we we all get the last night? The purple one, the purple icy one. Oh yeah, before we, we the went, absence, we went to the. <laughs> uh, oh, no. We went to the oldest bar. It's uh, Jean Lafitte's uh, blacksmith shop, and it's mm-hmm. the oldest continuous bar in the United States. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was like, "We're all getting drinks." And then Perry showed up later, and we're like, "Have a drink." And we made her get this purple frozen slushy thing. And it was I had about a very this difficult big. time saying no. They gave me a yeah. That's it was good to know Perry. It was like, no, no, really. Told me, don't even. <laughs> all right. Before we close out for the day, I just wanted to chime in to let you guys know. I'm looking at a report from March of this year, and. It was bloody disgusting that reported that Jennifer Kent had signed on to write and produce an episode of Guillermo del Toro's upcoming horror anthology series, 10 After Midnight. That was the project that I was referring to. So if there's any slots left on that, maybe uh, Guillermo should knock on Tim Burton's door. (laughs) All right. That is it for Friday Movie Talk and for a full week of Movie Talk. Carla, Alicia, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Cody back there. Thank you for stepping in. And we also have Dorian in the live chat. Thank you so much for your hard work. To everybody out there, please do not forget to like and share this episode. And I'm going to toss it to my guests really, really quickly so you could find them on the internet. Where can people find your work, Alicia? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm with Adam Tickets. You can find me at adamtickets.com uh, or on Twitter at Alicia Grouso. And Carla? You can find me across all social media platforms at The Curvy Critic and over at Black Hollywood Live with the curvy critic and Carla Renata, my show over there. All right, everyone. Again, like and share this episode of Movie Talk. Have a wonderful weekend, and I will see you live 3 p.m. PT on Monday for a brand new episode. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. 
It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.